Welcome to the Thrive Forever Fit Show. I'm your host, Jay Nixon, and today we've got a special guest for you, Mr. Eric Dupree, who is the author of the book called The Lost Art of Faith. Today's episode, guys, is going to be unbelievably amazing, help you overcome adversity. It's going to give you a new insight and a new perspective on faith in and of itself. And Eric's just a really cool, awesome dude. So get ready, saddle up, grab yourself a pen and some paper and get ready to enjoy the show. Eric, my brother, welcome to the show. How you doing? Great. How about yourself, Jay? Dude, I am doing awesome. Kind of just like what I said to you before I hit play. I think the reason you and I connected is because... I mean, we, I seem to find you and, and vice versa, probably, you know, on different places and spaces, you know, on the internet and on social media, we always seem to kind of be in alignment with, um, you know, with positivity and, you know, turning adversity into your advantage and, and things like that. And so I'm glad we finally connected and are actually doing this live so that, uh, you know, we can hopefully inspire some people to, to kind of come on board on our team and, and turn some adversity into advantage. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, uh, from the word go with me, I've, you know, I've had to trail from behind basically, uh, from the word go. So, you know, adversity to me is, is not new. It's actually just part of my daily life. It's not even, I'm not even cognizant of it. The fact that I was even having to go through adversity, it was just, you know, this is how life is for you and this is what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. Explain that a little bit. So, I mean, start, you know, adversity is like, you know, it's kind of like commonplace for you. What, what transpired that led you, you know, that began that, that process for you? I mean, very early on my mom, you know, she had me at the age of uh, 17. So uh, she goes to her grand, you know, to her parents, which are my grandparents. And there's some choices that had to be made at 17. Yeah. And, uh, my dad wasn't in the, in the picture at the time. And so, um, they gave her three choices. They said, uh, you know, you can raise them by yourself. We can help you raise them, uh, or you can put them up for adoption. And so, um, at the point in time, my, my grandparents kind of set my mom up so that she could, uh, attend school and try to further her education. And then basically my grandma and grandpa took care of me as my first parents. Yeah. So, um, you know, right out the gate, it's, it's already not normal, traditional, you know, setting or situation. So, you know, and for my mom, I mean, she's having to become, you know, raise a child as a child. Right. So, uh, we don't come from, you know, wealthy oil and gas, or at least we, we don't know about any of it. <laughs> so, you know, um, so my grandparents raised me, uh, unfortunately, you know, my, my grandpa, uh, he was offshore oil, oil men and onshore, he did oil and gas stuff. And so we traveled a bit. So at first I was born in, uh, Kaufman, Texas. Then we came back here to, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. And, uh, so the adversity, the best, my best friend, my dad, my grandpa, it was all in one person. It was my grandpa. Yeah. He, uh, you know, it was his second chance to raise another son, but actually have the time to do it. Cause he's basically semi-retired. Yeah. So he pumped all that into me, you know, uh, his time, uh, it was like having a brand new son for the first time. So he was very excited, very happy to have this grandson. And, 
at, at the age of four, he had a massive heart attack and he passed away. So everything I knew as a four-year-old in my entire life, you know, is all wrapped up into that. And then that was gone. So my mom, you know, my grandma's like, look, you know, I'm a wreck because my husband just passed away. You know, I, I really can't raise this boy by myself right now. So she, you know, told my mom, you, you got to come get him. <laughs> so, you know, right out the gate, you know, uh, I'm sure she doesn't, you know, have a mapped out plan in life. It's just hitting yeah. her. It's hitting her like a speed train. And, you know, she's doing the best she can with what she knows at the time. And so, you know, it, uh, it goes through that. So, I mean, you know, me and my mom, you know, we started having adversity right out the gate. Yeah. And honestly, um, I don't know if, you know, this becomes a habit or a pattern or whatever. It's what you know in life, what you see in life. But, um, you know, I've had to struggle throwing out the rest of, uh, you know, I'm 42 now. And I've had to continue to have trials and tribulations. Seems like every seven to 10 years, there's (laughs) a new challenge or a new obstacle. So I get into elementary school and I can't read, you know, like I'm studying, I'm, I'm going through the books, I'm doing all the stuff, but I, I literally just can't read. I can't form words or sound anything out. I can do math. I can do, uh, verbal skills, communication, all these other great things. So you know, in the eighties, they didn't understand what dyslexia was. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sitting here in the eighties and they, re- they literally for the reading and language part, they have to put me in, uh, uh, special needs yeah. classes. So, you know, physically, um, you know, physically and mentally cha- severely challenged children, are all lapped in there. Well, I can't read. So they, you know, they, they put me in there too. So, uh, half my classes, half my classes that I could do the math, science, social studies, and things like that. Like I I could do them for the most part, but the phonics reading and language, I just struggled and struggled and struggled. And, um, you know, dyslexia is very, you know, challenging. So, dyslexic kids start basically looking at, uh, uh, words as symbols and trying to memorize the whole word as a symbol to where they can sound out the whole word. So basically my vocabulary up until junior high was complete memorization of looking at a word, and making a sound. Yeah. So <laughs> try to do, I mean, talk about make things difficult. Yeah. You know, that, that, uh, learning, if you want to call it learning disability, which it definitely was a disability at the time, uh, it forced me into, you know, some, some difficult, challenging times at the gate. And so I would have to try to come up with creative, clever concepts or ways to look at words and symbols and things like that to memorize that amount of language, Yeah. you know? So, uh, school was challenging, but later on, you know, it forced me to think outside the box. Yeah. So, so from an adversity standpoint, you know, uh, by the time I got to junior high, one day the light bulb just came on and I literally could look at the letter and make the sound, connect it with the next letter, make the sound to formulate the whole entire word. And it just seems so simple for everybody else because they just learned from point A to point B 
and I'm having to learn to deviate and go through all these crazy ass convoluted ways that I had to learn because they weren't teaching me as a dyslexic child. They didn't even identify dyslexia in the eighties. Yeah. You know, so there was, there was no help. My mom was like, okay, we just have to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Well, (laughs) that, that doesn't, that doesn't help a dyslexic child connect the dots. So, um, so my youngest daughter, she has dyslexia. Okay. And so, um, we discovered that very quickly because once she had it started having rating problems, it automatically snapped that we need to get her, you know, checked out for dyslexia. And that's, that's exactly what she, uh, she ended up having, but she has amazing skills in so many other areas that are actually lacking like social skills, like kids these days, they don't have social skills really, but she does. She will walk up to, she'll articulate her words. She'll talk about things in a very, a structured manner that she gets her point across and um, she can paint a picture. She can get, she can basically get what she needs done by communicating with adults and kids. So, um, you know, it really forced me to uh, take a different path in learning and figuring things out. And so it makes, it makes dyslexic people, do things in unconventional ways to get to the same solution or a different solution. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm gonna, I got to pause really quick, man. I think you're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share a little bit with you that maybe yeah. you don't even know about me. I, when you're talking, I mean, we have so many parallels that it's like, <laughs> I literally have these notes. So, um, so my dad got killed when I was five um, and, and he was in the oil and offshore oil industry. And so was my grandfather. Um, so I just thought that was very unique. Like both my dad and my grandfather were both in on and offshore oil. Um, lost my dad when I was five, you know, a little bit of the same adversity. My mom had to raise, you know, a crazy ass little five-year-old, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. by herself. And I had some of the same things like, and I was going to, this is why I brought this up is when I got into the third grade, they realized that, that I couldn't read. Um, and it, and it was based on like, I had just gotten by, by being like, you know, overly communicative right like I just worked my way through the system and then we got into the third grade and realized I couldn't read yeah. and then I had I had the option like I think back then they call it like remedial classes mm-hmm. so they wanted to put me in like a remedial reading class and I didn't want to go because I, I didn't I didn't I didn't identify as having a problem it's embarrassing and, yeah and so I remember just like almost crash coursing myself and and trying to learn how to read better. But then, but I even remember this, like even like in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, remember how they used to like go around the room. You'd have to read a paragraph. Yeah. Like it. So what I would do and tell me if you've ever done this. So I would count and I'd be like, okay, one, two, three. And I'd be like, okay, I'm number seven. And so I would count in the book. I'd be like, one, two, three. And I would try to figure out like, okay, this is probably going to be my paragraph. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't listen to a thing anybody was saying. I would just read that paragraph over and over and over and over yeah. almost. So when it got to me, I didn't even have to read it. I could, me- I memorized it and said it out loud because I was so terrified of reading, especially yeah. reading out loud. And so I don't, I wonder if that was, pr- I wonder if there's any correlation between the, the traumatic, you know, loss of, you know, parental, you know, whatever it is in, in some kind of like, mental block you know that kind of gets you stuck a little bit yeah i would say without a doubt i mean it's it's trauma 
Yeah. You're going through trauma, but you're four and five years old. So you don't even understand. Yeah. It's no, no recall. You don't know how to process that. You, you have no clue of those emotions. You don't know, you can't articulate what you're feeling for the first time, especially as something at that scale and level is unprecedented. And it's a heavy load of stress, fear, uh, loss. I mean, grieving process. I mean, uh, all these new flooded emotions upon uh a child is just emotional overload and guess yeah. what there's emotional overload being spread amongst all the people that you're seeing and you're around too yeah so it's you're shouldering a heavy burden and very early in life of the most heaviest thing that anybody can deal with is death it's like yeah. not not being broken or hurt or this or like a finite thing of complete and utter uh, death of a reality that will never exist anymore because that person and that connection and that love is is completely gone and so you start searching and seeking that potentially somewhere else or in some cases you don't search and seek it because you don't want that kind of hurt or pain again i don't you know yeah. uh, your subconscious will start doing some weird shit that you don't really realize is, is happening in the background totally yeah you know, i struggle you, with a lot of that growing up it was like you know i i would you know wouldn't wouldn't allow myself to get very close to people you know yeah. things of that nature let me ask you this did you and this this sounds stupid to say but at four you know four years old five years old whatever it was you know for me five for you four did you ever feel like that you were responsible for everybody else like you were supposed to take care of your mom because she was you know she's your mom but still she's like you know the only the lone ranger, right? You got your mom and your grandma left. I mean, for me, that I kind of took on a, a a parental role at at a very very young age. Did you have any any recall of that? Um, no, we were just trying to keep our heads above water. It was survival mode. Yeah, and like my mom, you know, she saw that she had to fight and that she had to survive to provide for me. So. She was doing everything. She was uh, taking night classes uh, during most of the time. She was a, a nurse's assistant. Mm -hmm. And then from there, she uh, had to start taking uh, nursing classes to get her nursing certificate. And uh, we were solely in survival mode, but I didn't, I yeah. didn't, re I didn't realize that at the time because you're just a kid. You don't know what's normal. Uh, there's no comparison yeah. for, for me because uh, – I didn't hang out with a bunch of other kids and families other than just my cousins. And, um, so I, I didn't hang out with a lot of other kids and there was no, uh, there wasn't a lot of comparison to say, Hey, that's normal. That's not normal. I should pattern this behavior, that behavior. But to, to answer your question, uh, no, I just, uh, that's a skill or, uh, something that I wasn't, I always tried to make sure, I mean, I was a super happy kid when I had a lot yeah. of ener energy. Uh, you gave me a couple of toys and I was happy, you know, like I, I would find a way and I would be in my own little zone and just be happy, you know, uh, doing a lot of pretend things and emulating things and watching stuff on TV and then like, okay, I'm going to go in the woods or the backyard or whatever and go you know, do that. <laughs> no doubt. Absolutely. You know what? Another, you know, you just, you keep throwing these things at me. That's exactly what my mom did. She'd never worked before. And she actually put herself through nursing school. 
Hmm. Um, so I remember that exact process of like, you know, waking up and mom would be gone because she was having to drive an hour away to go to class and then going to bed and she wouldn't be home yet because she was trying to work and go to school yeah. and do all that, you know, do all those things at the same time. So, you know, very unique you know, very unique childhood. I would bet you know how to cook and clean and do laundry and and all those things at a very young age because you probably you probably had to. Yeah, I mean, I remember you know I look at my kids now and uh, if she had to get to work or class or school or whatever, uh, you know, pack my own lunch, make my yeah. own lunch, uh, make sure I had all my homework and all my stuff, and then make sure I got to the bus on time. Yeah. So you know, I had to always be early because there was no plan B. If I missed the right. bus, I, you know, that was it. Now I could, you know, jog to school or walk to school or whatever, but I would definitely be late. And, um, if I was late, I'd have to do a lot of explaining. So, yeah. uh, she was, she was hardcore, man. Uh, her, her mom was from South Louisiana mm -hmm. and her dad, my grandma's father was a rice farmer and they were just knew how to work hard and yeah. they had hardcore rules and discipline and South Louisiana, you know, it's a, you know, Roman Catholic church. So it's, it's, it's discipline at work is discipline and faith is, you know, it's too, it, honestly, it's, it's too much because, you know, at some point in time, you got to understand that you can work, but you got to enjoy life. Otherwise yeah, it's a burnout, you know, I mean, totally. so, so my mom was old school and like, you know, I was a kid because of dyslexia and my, my mind always constantly churning and going because once you're, once you're dyslexic and you have to learn creative things outside the box, things of how to arrive at an answer the same at the same speed as the rest of the kids. So you don't look dumb, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you got to figure it out, but instead of going from point A to point B, you're like going like this yeah. and it end up at the same result, but you, you have to figure out how to do that at a very rapid rate. And so, that's why a lot of kids end up with dyslexia. They also connect ADHD uh, hyperactivity because their mind, they're hyper because their mind's like their mind is going five times as fast as a normal kid's mind because a normal kid can process from point A to point B and get the result instantaneous. Uh, a child with dyslexia, if they're in a situation where uh, it's embarrassing to be slow in front of people, you know, like, yeah. uh, what's the answer or read this. And you're like, Oh shit, I got, so you're, you already knew to start counting what paragraph to get there ahead of time. Yeah. So, so you could have a rapid response. So you don't look stupid or slow. Right. You know, and, uh, as hard as that is on a kid, which is very hard. I mean, yeah. that's like hurting them to the core, but it's forcing you to develop something new and different that, uh, will be unique to the world. Yeah, you've almost got to become a really analytical thinker at a very young age because it's like, you know, I got to figure this out because like you said, you know, I mean, you don't want to be the, you don't want to be the kid in class that's, that's fumbling through his paragraph, you know what I mean? And so I don't, you know, looking back on it, like I was just thinking as you were speaking, I'm like, that was pretty stressful, man. Like I, I that was really stressful to the time. And, it, you know, it sounds silly to say like, you now as adults, it's like, oh, you were stressed out about reading, you know? in the third grade, but it really was like, I used to dread that class because yeah. I'm like, God, I don't want to, I don't want to look stupid today. You know what I mean? Well, I would get chronic headaches and go to the nurse's office. And, um, I went to the nurse and she brought my, my mom came there one day 
And she's like, why does he keep having these headaches? And the nurse is like, because he's stressed. She goes, fear. Yeah, she, yeah exactly. Fear, stress, the, the stress from the fear, the stress from not performing, you know, yeah. you're not, you're not performing like the other kids you're worried you, you don't, you know, so yeah, fear. So every day going to school, fearing that I have to spell something, I have to read something, I have to do something. It's constantly on my mind and my conscience. And, you know, my mind's racing super fast to try to keep, keep, keep up and catch up. And I'd get these headaches and the nurse is like, there's stress. Yeah. You know, and she's like, you know, again, elementary school, what does he have to be stressed about? And, you know, me at where I'm at in this point in my life, like I get it. Like I can understand, I can, I understand the what's going on, what's happening with my own kids uh, so that I can see further than my nose in the situation. Cause most people are like, yes, of course, what is a elementary kid he's got, he's being provided for, but there's so many other things that are stressing you out that they can't even see, you know? Yeah. That's, you know? that's a great segue. Let, let's fast forward to how you now use, you know, I mean, before we got on the call, you were trying to explain something to me about like, you know, I mean, artificial intelligence and we got, there's a spaceship and then there's a, I mean, you were, yeah. You know, so it's like, you've obviously, you've obviously become very successful, um, you know, doing things that, that are really cool how have you used all of that, you know, let's call it trauma from, you know, the age of four through the dyslexia, you know, through all of those things, how have you turned those things into opportunities and advantages for yourself now? So to figure things out, you have to use quantitative logic. You have to resort to logic, like almost binary code of ones and zeros or one plus one equals two and build on those foundational principles. And so, uh, dyslexia too is funny. Cause when you mention the word dyslexia, everybody thinks backwards or upside down or, right. you know, now there's some, there's some truth to that because, um, your mind, your mind. So the way I can explain that a little bit, um, and to get and even answer your original question a little, even a little bit deeper is that um, I try to see the end goal when we're trying to solve a problem. Like it, it I automatically almost snap to that too. So if we're going to build a house, I see the house completed, but then I start stripping the house back to the next step and next layer of what has to be done from finished all the way back to the very beginning. Okay. So I'll, I'll take it from the very end and rip it all apart to the very beginning yeah. so, so that I know that the whole, I understand the whole sequence throughout the whole entire process from start to finish. And uh, so dyslexia for me makes me start from the right <laughs> yeah. and, and work back to the left, so to speak. So in that order, um, you know, um, my mind just operates differently. And so I can see the end result and the goal really quick. And I can tell somebody, okay, this is what you need to do. And then the line of work and the things that I do, I have tons of experience of what works and what doesn't work. And so when I give somebody an answer rapidly and quickly, they're like, how in the hell do you already, I'm like, yeah, it's probably 90 to 95% right. Right. (laughs) Like I know the answer. So just trust me with it, go with it. Or we could do it the long way. And 
we could sit here and hash it out and put it on paper and break it down and do all this stuff. And then we're going to come to about 90 to 95% of what I told you from the very get go, or you can trust me to do what I know how to do really well and uh, expedite things and get them done quickly. The faster you get a job done or accomplished, uh, typically you make more money and more profit. So yeah, so I, you've, you've basically just trained yourself to reverse engineer everything. Pretty much. I'll break something down and figure out where its weak point is because that's going to be your stumbling block, block yeah. in uh, moving forward in a critical path to get it completed. Um, you know, reading tons of uh, management books, understanding how things are built, how things are structured, whether you structure a company, whether you structure a relationship or a business, there's a process you know, in all of that. And yeah. honest, honestly, all the processes are pretty damn near identical. Yeah. Yeah. You I know? mean, if you look at, if you look at, at problems or you look at, you know, situations there, they usually fall into a, a select, you know, little, little bucket where, you know, everything kind of gets to it. That's, that's awesome. you when did you realize that that's, that that was going to be a, a benefit, right? Like you, you know, when, when you realize like, this, hey, this isn't, this isn't necessarily a negative, like this is actually going to be something that I can use as an advantage. Yeah. When we sat down with a dys dyslexia teacher for my youngest daughter, uh, Riley, she looked at me and my, at my time, at the time, my, my wife, uh, it's my ex-wife at this time. But when we're sit down with her teacher, um, she looked at me and she goes, okay, well, which one of you is dyslexic? And I was like, I am. She goes, yeah. she goes, I bet you own your own business. Don't you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And, uh, I was like, why do you, why do you say that? She's like, well, you know, dyslexics don't bold well in, you know, the commonplace of a normal nine to five job. We just don't, we don't the same for the same reason we didn't really fit and plug into the, uh, you know, public school system and mesh with that uh, forced us to be outside the box. And so we're extremely creative where people in, um, you know, working in a typical nine to five at, at a company, um, that type of structure is so dull and boring to us because our minds are actually there. They need to be fed. Uh, they need to be fed at a much higher level and be more challenged and things like that. And typically you're not going to find that when you're just doing a cookie cutter stamp job over and over. So yeah. I, I went through a, I went through a crap ton of jobs and every time I, I did, I elevated to a job where I, I got paid more money, but eventually it got to a point where I was like, there is no ceiling. There is no sky. Once I, start up my own company. So yeah. in 2010, I went into the wastewater industry, you know, and I was like, I need to find an industry that people don't really like that. There's a huge sustainable opportunity there. And it's a very niche market that has a potential to make a lot of money. Yeah. And, and again, it's a very small market. It's like, if you wanted to be a realtor, there's millions of realtors and there's mil right. millions of realtors coming. So I was like, and I, at the age of 21, I actually went and got my Texas real estate license uh, just to have something additional. But I just looked at it and said, long-term, this is such a flooded market and technology is advancing so fast that realtors probably aren't even going to be needed. And that's honestly that I thought yeah. that I thought that like 
years ago. And that's actually where we're at it, at the doorstep right now. Yeah. There's so many apps and so many uh, places, Zillow and stuff to basically business to business. They're cutting out the brokers and just buying the houses direct almost. But in that different way of thinking is really unique as well, because most young, you know, adults aren't sitting around thinking wastewater, <laughs> wastewater. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, you didn't call up a buddy and be like, hey, man, I hit the jackpot. He's like, oh, what'd you do? He's like, I'm going to start a wastewater business. Well, and it's and it's funny too because 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 wastewater when you say wastewater under under underground utility basically I'm saying right. I'm, I'm dealing with people's shit you know I'm about to say you're talking about poop and piss man that's, yeah that's, I mean that's, that's what we're talking about I did I did a huge presentation like City of Houston has an EPA uh, federal court order to do a massive amounts of upgrades to its uh, sewer infrastructure yeah. and it's and it's a ten year project for like two billion dollars. EPA Environmental Protection Agency. Yes. Okay. And so their sewer system has allowed so much sewer out of the system that it's flooded our waterways, our yards, our churches, our schools, anywhere there's a manhole, the sewer, when the city floods and Houston floods like all the time, yeah, it overfl overflows the, the uh, capacity of the sewer collection system mm -hmm. and the sewer and the bacteria and everything comes out of the system. So the EPA has tasked them with a federal court order to uh to fix that and um you know these epa uh consent decrees are like uh, nationwide and um you know they have to keep the sewer in the sewer system not in our living environment 100 i mean i don't know anything about it man but i can tell you if you asked me that question i'd be like let's keep it where it's supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> exactly you you have a collection system is supposed to stay in the collection system, not in right. my front, not in my front yard, not yeah. in my, ch my church or where my kids go to school. Uh, so it's it's a safety uh, health issue. It's a fundamental issue. I mean, yeah. you got three sectors of uh, the what I call the big three in infrastructure. You got water, sewer, and electricity. You yeah, know, if those go out, we're third world country overnight. Totally. But I mean, smart on, smart on you for understanding that, like the, having that analytical brain. I can tell you this, like I realized, you know, probably in my, gosh, probably my late 20s to early 30s that I was, I always say unemployable, right? Because I, I, I can remember, yeah. I can remember the, the worst feeling in the world is sitting in a meeting and, and the, you know, the questions are being posed around and you have the answer, mm -hmm. but it's, everybody else is just trying to get to that place. And it's not that I'm, I'm not saying that I'm uber intelligent or whatever. I think what you described earlier is just like, I have a different way of thinking about things, right? And well, a different analytical brain that. Well, you are, you, you are uh, very smart and intelligent in that. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to get to the solution of the answer really quick. Now, the problem is human beings need all this proof. But and we also spend so much time on the actual problem and not any time on the solution We'll spend 90%. I mean, tell me if I'm right. Or do we spend 90% no. 90 of the time talking about the problem and then 10% of the time on the solution? And then the solution's not usually very good because we only spend 10% of the time talking about it. So back to the word shit and back to the back to the philosophy of being from South Louisiana, you know, in South Louisiana, um, we're, I don't want to say, if you if you force a lazy man to go do something, He's going to come up with the simplest, easiest way to get it done. Yeah. And it's called the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. And in South Louisiana, 
is is uh, unintelligent, uneducated as most people think they are, those people come up with some of the most simple, creative ways to get shit done. It's unbelievable. So it's like Kunas Cajun Cajun engineering, but it's simple. But guess what? Simple works nine times out of nine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I always say if you want to make something challenging, add a human. Like if we. <laughs> If you want to make it hard, I'm seriously, if you want to make it difficult, you know, I spend a lot of time in like the weight loss transformation world. You wouldn't believe how complicated people make food or, or walking around the block or just, you know, simple, simple things. Like they will try to convolute it with a, with like, they'll get an abacus out. They'll have a sundial. And I'm like, what are you going to do? that you're like stop stop just stop and so you you get this i mean we we get in our own way i mean this is just from like business to just our own personal stuff is like we get in our way so often and if if i love the the keep it simple stupid because i think if you even look at it from a different perspective they're completely solution based yes the the problem is irrelevant it's like i need a solution and that's what i'm going to figure out and I'm not going to sit around and call all my buddies and be like, hey, what, I, you know, things aren't going well. Like, I don't have time for that shit. Like, I'm going to fix this. Well, we're, we're in a uh, analysis, you know, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. You know, it's like overthinking, over-engineering it, over-designing it, uh, overshooting it. And it's like, dude, you're, you're wasting resources, time, and energy. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's a lot of people on earth that uh, they understand that our time is valuable. And uh, that's the commodity we don't have, but we need solutions and we need to be just bottom line is moving forward. Like if we go in, if we go in with 70% of a good, decent plan and we have uh craftsmen and people that know how to do what the hell they do, let that instinct and that experience and that craft, let that shit kick in with 70% plan and you're going to get shit done. Like, yeah. you know, let's quit talking about it and let's, let's do it. Right. Um, I mean, you know, shit or get off the pot analogy you know yeah i mean you're i think you're 100 percent right and i think that's where let me ask you this because and this is my interpretation of the situation i think a lot of times we like to convolute or complex or make the issue so complex because then it gives us an out it gives us a reason that we didn't get it done or a re, or an excuse or a you know yeah. what i mean like it, we have the, it, it almost builds in like a like my, my philosophy in life is always confident sometimes wrong like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. some, sometimes I'm going to be wrong, but I'm a damn sure be confident about what it is I'm trying to do. Well, I mean, um, you, you have to go through a series of failures uh, and the beauty of failure is just, you're just checking off one way to not try to do it again. Yeah. I mean, you know, the light bulb, Thomas Edison, I mean, he tried it so many filaments in different ways that, you know, once he found a good, solid, consistent way for that light bulb to stay on, uh, he knew not to now screw with it or try to do other things because he shit he'd gone through everything else and it just didn't work. So yeah. let me ask uh, you about it. Let me ask you another question about adversity. Like when I think about adversity, I like to think of it as simply just or you know an obstacle, challenge, whatever you want to whatever word you want to use. I look at it as simply like an unanswered question. I'm just yeah. not I'm not asking the appropriate question or I'm not asking the right person the right question to get the answer to help me get through that adversity. But once I do, then that adversity actually becomes my advantage because now I have new information, you know, related to a challenge that now I can just consistently overcome. Yeah, I mean, um, giving up 
given up too early, you know, like, uh, you know, Albert Einstein, he's got great quotes. One of his quotes is that I'm not smarter than anybody. I just spend more time on the problem. Yeah, he did. You know, like he had some very complex equations and it took him years to solve a lot of them when most people would have just given up and just one week, one month, one year. And then, and then all of a sudden he's a genius. Well, he wasn't a genius overnight. Actually, he was actually dyslexic and very slow and right. could not, could not read early on in school and they thought he was, you know, uh, stupid. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah, y'all thought Albert Einstein when he was young, y'all thought he was stupid, huh? Okay. <laughs> how do you, how do you look at that now? Like whenever you see, um, you know, cause like, you know, we talked about earlier, like, I mean, life is a series of, of unanswered questions. Right. And so when you look at adversity and you said, it's almost like commonplace to you now, how, how does that register for you? Because a lot of times, I mean, when I'm just thinking about the, the average person, when, the yeah. adverse, when adversity presents itself or a challenge, the first thing they do is think about how to get away from it. Like, yeah. how, do, how do I get as far away from this as I can possibly I wanna, get? I want to run away from the problem and the problem's just going to keep chasing you. So like I learned, I learned that on, I learned that very early on. So like running from your problems ain't going to solve your problems. Like you, you gotta go, you gotta go hit that shit head on and almost be eager to go hit it head on. Like, um, you know, because, uh, again, you just, you're going to drag that crap with you and it'll accumulate because once you don't solve that problem and you run from that, then another problems, because guess what? Life is just going to throw a series of, uh, problems at you that you have to solve. Now, when you get smart and you get a little older and wiser and things like that, you realize how many resources you have available to you. Yeah. So you like, I'm in men's groups. Um, I'm like, I'm in multiple men's groups because, you know, um, uh, in my faith, I have a, a men's group. Um, and I surround myself with other people that I know have faced these challenges. And so, and I know guys not only had to face them, they, they were able to get through them very successfully. Yeah. So then you can pull from that knowledge base and that experience and it's still your battle. It's still your fight. You still got to go do it, but now you're way more prepared for what you might not see, not have seen had you not talked to somebody and, you know, uh, put it all on the table to, uh, to get it out there. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I wrote down that word resources when you said it about like, you know, using those other people, I think a lot of, I talk about like having a circle of success or, you know, whatever you want to call it, like the, those people that you're talking about. Yeah. And it's generally when usually when people don't get what they want, it's because of the underutilization of resources. Oh, absolutely. But it, it, it's like they just either they don't either they haven't positioned themselves with those resources by getting in groups like you talked about. Right. Yeah. Or they are so afraid to ask for help that they just they would rather take the L then say, hey, Eric, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here, bro. Like, this is what I'm going through. Like, yeah. you, seem, you seem like a cat's got a lot of knowledge. I may ask you the question. You'd be like, hey, Jay, I have no idea, but guess who does? I got yeah. a dude named, I got a dude named Doug. I'm going to get you, I'm going to hook you up with Doug. Like, <laughs> that's how my life is predicated. Like, you know, running your own business and all of these things, I think you probably run into this as well. It's like, there's no way you could have every answer for every scenario that pops up. And so well, you, you need resources. So, when I really uh, like, 
you know, talk about adversity, like, uh, four years, I went through really bad divorce, uh, in, in that, I mean, that what you sent me the other day, man, I was like, I, <laughs> I'm like, well, like, oh, all right, bro. <laughs> it, you know, what's crazy is there's a movie called invincible with, uh, Vince Papali story of when mm -hmm. he, he, uh, he lost yeah. his, he lost his job as a school teacher, uh, very bad times, recession and stuff like that. And, he was with his wife at that time. And she, you know, wrote down all these things that he wouldn't be or couldn't be. And, you know, basically saying you, you're, you're not good enough and, uh, you know, left him, you know, and then the dude <laughs> ends up trying out for the damn, you know, Philadelphia Eagles. He's working yeah. in a bar one day. And then the next day he's on the freaking NFL roster yeah. with, with the Philadelphia Eagles. And so, um, you know, very similar situation. I, I lost, I lost everything, man. Uh, four years ago, I, you know, when you go through a divorce, you get into basically legal litigation or you're being sued by the spouse, you know, for your assets and things like that. So I had to, before we got to that point, I had to do a quick fire sale of my shares of my company, uh, had to distance myself from the company and, you know, no longer be part of the company. Um, you know, the home that I had built that we were living in, raising our kids, that was gone. All the dogs that I had, they were gone. And uh, everything, everything that was a dream, part of my dream, my vision, I, man, I, I had, I had everything. I earned it. I worked hard for it. It was all bootstrapped. We didn't get any bank loans or anything. We started a company in 2010 and by the time it was 2017, it was a multi-million dollar construction company. And we had land, we had rental property and it all, you know, it all went up in smoke and I had to start over literally from scratch. And the missing link in all this stuff for me was, um, I knew how to be successful. I knew how to work hard. I knew how to, do all these quantitative and, you know, figuring out these things. But the thing that was lacking the most, uh, and this is so critical and key that I I'm, 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 well, I was overly quantitative in things that I lost sight of the most important thing in life, which is relationships, yeah. relationships talking like we're talking in the race with, with a men's group relationships and business. Like it was all business to me. It was all like making money. How can I fix your problem? And it wasn't like, Hey, Carl, you know, how, how's your kids doing? Yeah. You know, like I completely missed that. And it, it, it wasn't until I started getting my men's group with my faith and my faith, you know, uh, I wrote this down earlier was that, you know, like you said, people need to start thinking a little bit different in a different pers perspective. And that's why we have these conversations that, you know, faith, everybody automatically goes to religion. I'm like, yeah. no. I wrote the book called The Lost Art of Faith, not The uh, Lost Art of Religion. I was going to ask you about that. We're going to talk about that too, so keep going. So so the thing is, is faith are the set of foundational principles by which you say you're going to live your life. Right. That's your faith, your faith. And it's not your mom's faith. It's not your pastor's faith. It's not your spouse's faith, which y'all should be sharing that faith. But the bottom line is, it's your faith. You have to cultivate that faith. Now, when you cultivate that faith and the faith that I am, I'm a, I'm a Christian. So being a Christian 
what I've learned through my own faith is I have to have a, a vertical connection with my creator. So it's me and my creator. Like somebody created me. I, I did not manifest or create myself by everything that I know. Right. 40, 42 years of being on planet earth. Some, somebody created me through birth. And if you just go backwards to where the population is diminished into whatever, something created the universe, everything. And so, yeah. so establishing a relationship with the most powerful thing in the universe, which I would consider to be my creator, whatever name people want to give it, I'm not concerned about what name it is. You know, I'm going to call yeah. it, it the default for me is just God. Cause it's just easy. Yeah. So I have a relationship with God, which to me, since I didn't have a father, you know, he's been my heavenly father. Like I've had guides and I've had things guide me in life where I really didn't understand where that came from. Cause it didn't come from a dad. Cause I didn't have a dad there. Huh. And, you know, my heavenly, like the way I look at God is my heavenly father. He's, uh, he's looking out for me. Mm -hmm. He's, he's moving things and doing stuff and there's his part, there's my part and stuff like that. But, you know, when I sat down and said, okay, look, I need to structure my faith, my belief systems and my principles. I need to, I need to build that foundation because everything else that I'm going to build in life is going to be based on that foundation, which is me. And so I needed to build that with inside of me. And, and if I said that these are my beliefs and these are my principles and they're all good things for me and they're all good things for all the people around me, then um, I got to start doing them instead of just yeah. knowing them and reading, you know, scriptures and things like that. I actually have to start manifesting the actions that. So when I analyze a lot of faith and a lot of religion, there's people that go through the motions, but they they don't carry out their faith. Uh the higher priorities in their faith, a lot of times, because it's difficult or hard, they shy away from their own faith and their own religion because it's too damn hard. I'm like, well, then quit saying that you're that because you're not being that. Right. <laughs> it's very hypocritical. I mean, honestly, Christians, in my opinion, are the, the some of the biggest hypocrites on, on planet Earth. And I can only say that because I used to be one of them. I used to be like, hey, I'm a good guy. I'm a Christian. But when I would be tested, when I would be tested on my faith, I would make a, an excuse that's acceptable to society of why I didn't do it. Right. Like, why didn't you help that guy? Or why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Well, I'd find some kind of convenient excuse of why I didn't do it. And I finally said, you know what? That's not the person. That's not the human. That's not the man I want to be. So I changed all that. And is, is that where the book came from? Like, was it after the divorce? And like, how did that, how did it manifest itself? I mean, I've written two books and I know that it's not an easy thing to do. So it's like, I mean, you got to really want to write a book if you're going to get in there. So what, what, how'd that come, how'd that come about? I never thought I'd write a book a day in my life. It was yeah. never a part of goal. It wasn't part of my dream. It wasn't part of my master plan. Nothing. Um, I was going, Jay, I'm, I'll be as transparent, honest, and genuine as I can. Like, uh, everything that mattered to me on planet earth was taken by force through a legal system that I could do nothing to stop. Like all, all my heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and everything that I know that was good. I, I prayed constantly. I had hope that God would stop it all. He would, he, he would just put it into it and it'd be okay. And it didn't. And it destroyed me, man. Like it, 
it destroyed me. And when I was going through my divorce, a guy that I never talked to, he sent me a text message and it was the craziest text message because we never discussed faith. We never discussed religion, nothing. He just, he knew what kind of guy I was at heart by being around and observing me and my actions, how I treated people. But he sent me a text at the weirdest time because he didn't know all the stuff that was going on in my house, but it was just random. So I looked at the text and it said, you have to be destroyed before you can be made into something new. And that's transformation is what he's talking about. Not change, yeah. you know, change people are like, Oh, I want to change. I'm like, well, just sit there and do nothing. And it'll change. Cause you just get old. <laughs> but, but, but if you want to transform that takes willpower, that takes effort, tenacity, that takes a uh, desire, a uh, passion. And I could have sat there and let everything destroy me. Or I could turn face into an area that I, was weakened at the time. I was weak in my faith and discovering what that faith was. So with the book, I was going to therapy. Um, I was very, very, very depressed. I mean, uh, I mean, I was at the point of depressed going like I lost everything. Why do I even keep on going? Like, what's the point? Like, like I worked so damn hard for so many years to start living this dream and just to have that just the dream in one fell swoop taken, destroyed, and and be helpless. Yeah. If I do it again, the same thing could happen again, and I'd be helpless again. So what why the hell? So yeah. so I started journaling. I went to my therapist and she said, Can I see some of your journaling? I said, Yeah. So I gave it to her and she she goes, You wrote this? That's <laughs> like I wrote this. Yeah, I wrote it. I didn't, yeah. I didn't pay somebody to write journal notes to yeah. give them to my therapist. Uh, she goes, this is really good because what I did is I started going back from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I took inventory of my life. Cause I go, I started understanding psychology. I under, started understanding, like I said, man, I got to figure out why the hell I am the way I am because she divorced me for some good reasons. And she also divorced, we got divorced for some bad reasons. The parts that I controlled were the parts of me. Yeah. I, I control that. So if I ever going to seek another mate or another person in life, <clears throat> I got to see what I didn't see. Yeah. I got to, I got to see what she saw and then evaluate that and said, is she, was she right on some of those things? And then I started looking in the damn mirror, you know, in evaluating myself through the damn mirror. And also biblically, I'd, I'd look at my faith and say, am I really those things? And that was hard, man, because most people can pop out a Bible real quick and read it and start pointing at everybody else and seeing, wow. seeing all their flaws because they're like, they have this source of information saying, this is how a person has to be and has to treat people and act. And immediately you're like, oh shit, that person's like this. Well, what you're doing is, it, it takes one to know one. You're just projecting. You're projecting because it takes one to know one. That that yeah. cliche saying it takes one. Well, I didn't I didn't know that I was all messed yeah. up like that or had all those uh, bad habits. So I took full inventory, and I in the book in the essence of the book I had to uh, I went back in time. I chronologically wrote out what was happening. Then in each chapter. I was like, what, what did I learn that I know now that in that particular chapter? So 
it's chronologically in order from basically when I was born all the way till I was like 36, 37 years old. And it took somebody on a ride along journey of my life. But each, each chapter is not just an autobiography. It's, it's this, they were, it's now it's my thoughts, my thoughts on what was happening then to me and what I learned and what I changed. And then I would throw in, you know, bits of uh, quotes or scripture to, uh, you know, part of scripture uh, in the Bible, one of the, the best things it says in there, there's a scripture and it says, uh, transforming and renewing of the mind. Um, uh, see in the in the back of my in the back of my book i took all those scriptures and quotes and what i did is i compiled them so that it's just a short quick thing to those those scriptures because transforming and renewing renewing of your mind i don't care what faith or religion you're in but those 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 words right there is what you you even uh, alluded to earlier in our conversation is that people need to start thinking broader and deeper. Well, the first place to start doing it is transforming your mindset and your belief system. Because if you, if your old, if your old belief system is working, if it ain't broke, yeah, don't, don't fix it. Yeah, totally. If it's, if you're having issues and repetitive struggles, you got to go change something or yeah. the definition of insanity is going to kick in and you're going to get the same results. And so, yeah. um, at the time, I'll even tell you this much, man. I was depressed. I was working for a company doing uh, outside sales, but I wasn't doing no sales. I was just at home writing a book. Yeah. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to have actual, complete, total faith in God, he'll provide for me. And I don't know how, because I don't have the answers anymore. I'm done. Uh, this company continued to pay me for months and months. And I thought they were going to fire me every week. But they they paid me for months and months until I finished my book. And then when I finished my book, I was like, guys, I went to them and I said, I can't keep working for y'all. And they're like, why not? <laughs> I said, man, because I'm not producing for you and you're paying me and it really hurts me. And then they looked at me and they're like, Eric, we're not firing you. And I'm like, I know you're not firing me, but I'm not producing for you. But honestly, I think they understood my situation. Yeah. And I think they were just helping me because they could, because it was a big multi-million dollar company. Yeah. And I, and I knew the owners and, and honestly, I think they were just, they, well, they had a windfall and they could afford to, to help me. Well, there's, I don't believe in coincidences. And so I think there's two things that happened there. Right. So that text message you got from the guy about being yeah. destroyed and then the resources, if we go back to that, that you had by aligning yourself with these guys who probably knew you weren't doing shit. But they were like, they were like, oh, listen, like this is, there's a purpose for this. We don't know yeah. what it is. We don't know what it is yet. But if they wouldn't have done what they had done, you might not be doing what you're doing now. And so I think that I don't believe in coincidences in life. And I think that, you know, you had just aligned yourself with the right, you know, and I think it probably goes a lot back to your faith. When you start living, you know, when you start living in alignment with who you want to be. Yeah. I mean, I think things really start to change dramatically for you. I wrote a book called The Purpose of Pain, how to, how to Turn Tragedy into Triumph. And what I, what I realized, and the reason I wrote the book is that I was the greatest source of my own pain. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it was the, the, 
the life that I was creating for myself. It's the whole adage of like life happens for you, not to you. To you, yeah. I, you know, I was living as if it was happening to me. Like, oh, it was well, that's, me. That's that's a victim mentality. Yeah, yeah. And, and but I, yeah, I thought it was okay, right? Because yeah. you know, my dad got killed. My best friend committed suicide when I was twenty-five. Like, you know, like all this this laundry list of things, and nobody would ever, nobody would ever. You know, as humans, here's the thing too, like nobody's ever going to come to you and be like, hey, Eric, you know, hey, get over this divorce thing, bro. Like get your ass back in the game. Like what we do as humans is we come and we like, hey, Eric, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. Just, you know, take, you know what I mean? Like we, we tend to pacify each other. Yeah. I I was pacifying myself until I decided, Hey, this is no way to live. I can't keep living this way. And it sounds like you kind of did the same thing. You're like, yeah, I gotta get, I gotta get in alignment with who I am and stop being a hypocrite and like actually start living well, I was like, dude, everything on earth since I was born has tried to fucking kill me and take me off this planet and, and destroy me. And, I, and I'm not just saying kill me, uh, kill me in a uh, physical sense, right. but just kill my spirit, kill my soul. Yeah. And that's a given because the moment you come into this planet earth, that those are givens. Like you're like you're guaranteed pain suffering like all the negative all the negative things of this world you're guaranteed those things all the positive things you got to go get them and work for them and keep them yeah you know and the more you work for them and you keep them it's it goes back to quantitative uh, uh science that uh one thing can't occupy the same space so the beauty of that the beauty of that is that you you can't have a negative thought and a positive thought at the same time it's it's impossible so the other thing is um if i have a uh, if i have a positive soul and spirit and energy i have that at the same time it can't be negative so like you got to make a choice of those habits and those things of i want to replace those thoughts and those habits with these good thoughts and these good habits and then and 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 it's it's just a series of like i'm i'm going to push this into place and keep it there and i'm going to resist I'm going to resist. And that's kind of where I guess the discipline of things are uh, because once we become undisciplined of things and it's easier, convenient or fun or, you know, whatever you'll replace that, but then it'll open the door for some pain. Yeah, totally. You got to make that choice. Yeah. I I think about the Jocko quote all the time, you know, discipline equals freedom. And I think of freedom is in the, the form of like, you know, the, the absence of, of nonsense, right? And a lot of times when we're undisciplined, <laughs> when we're yeah. undi- when we're undisciplined, we bring about nonsense into our lives. Yeah. And then we look around and be like, well, this sucks. Like look at all this stuff's going wrong for me. It's like, but if you look at the the common denominator in most of those things, it's usually you. Yeah. And 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 then you realize like, you know, some of the cliche sayings is like um um you know, give it to God. You know, and you're like, oh, yeah. that that sounds so stupid. I'm like, okay, well, let me break it down for you. It's situations so big and so powerful. You can't control that situation, but you can control you. You can control mm-hmm. your feelings, how you react to it and how you act towards it. So work on those things and all the shit that you don't control and you can't control, uh, that's, that's giving it away because if you try to carry it, that pressure and the uh power it's going to take to overcome that situation is just crush you oh 100 you know and so that's a 
that's a risk analysis choice of like, can I carry the load of the, the weight of this situation uh, when I don't have to? I don't have yeah. to. There's so many situations you feel like, oh, I've got to do this. No, you don't have to do shit. Now, what you can do is just control your feelings and your reactions towards the situation to just not make it worse. Yeah. You know, I love to give, I love to give the listeners like actionable things that they can do. And I'm a huge journaler myself. So I want to drive home this point of, you know, you, you know, you were going to therapy, you started journaling, kind of writing down, like brain dumping your thoughts and, you know, this and that. Let's just say the book never came about, right? But you did the journaling and the whole nine yards and the whole process of that. How therapeutic was that process in and of itself? Yeah. So you're, the mind and the conscience and the subconscious are so powerful that like, um, it took things out of my subconscious and brought it to my conscience so that I could understand. And, um, you know, when you get lost, when you get broken and you get hurt like this, to this degree in life and you, um, you know, all this stuff happens, you, you've got to go back and, uh, reevaluate the whole thing. And, you know, um, take the puzzle pieces, so to speak, and take it apart, but then put yeah. it back, you know, start putting it back together. But the cool thing is you can put it back together in a different way. It's not, you, now, now it's up to you. Like you can, uh, you can put all the pieces back together the way you want to. And guess what? Some pieces you don't even got to put, you can just chunk them, right. you know? Uh, but there's a, there's a, there's a process to this and like that board behind me, you know, I do some, uh, uh, life coaching for people now. And so people have gone through traumatic experience, uh, struggles, uh, cycled pattern behaviors, things like that is typically due to some past trauma that they're just not aware of it. And so the three steps are, you know, to, uh, to reveal and to heal and then once you heal, you can rebuild because if you don't reveal what you need to reveal to yourself, you don't have clarity and focus of understanding of uh, what went wrong so that you don't keep repeating it. And then you absolutely have to heal. You have to, uh, if you have a heart of stone, if you're still upset and you're angry about all those things, like you'll manifest anger through your actions to all the people and relationships you have in your life at work at home, the guy, the gardener, whoever, yeah. if you, if you have a hard and angry, frustrated heart for things that happen way back in it, if you don't reconcile all that and you don't heal, you, you know, you'll snap on a guy for doing something stupid or whatever, but you'll overreact to it because he's now feeling the brunt of shit that's inside of you uh, that, that you need to purge all that shit out. Now, once you completely heal, um, you've revealed everything that you need to, to do, make a chart, write it out, you know, like, like almost like a business plan, like put, put it on paper so you can see it and you can understand it. And then you can start the, the rebuilding process because if you have a weak foundation, uh, if you have a weak foundation, you try to rebuild anything on top of that weak foundation is just, just going to crumble again. You get a sewer in your yard. <laughs> you can have shit everywhere. Yeah. You get shit in your yard. Yeah, absolutely. And shit in your life. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it just becomes a shitty situation. 
Dude, this this has been this has been phenomenal, man. I appreciate you spending your time with me today. I've got I've got one more question, final question for you, because I think this is so valuable. Because you know, you talked about the rebuilding. Yeah. And in my in my brain, that's never done, right? I think we're all for me at least, it's not it's never done because I'm always trying to be better than I am today. I always yeah. want to be a little bit better because that if I'm a little bit better, that means I can be a little bit better for somebody else. Yeah. And so what do you do on those? on those heavy days, man, on those days where it's not clicking, right? Because I don't care how evolved or how much work you've done. Some <laughs> days are just some days. So what do you, what do you do? Do you have a system? Do you have like a, a go-to, like, how do you handle those situations in those days? Because I think a lot of people, especially in the environment that we're in right now and that we've been in for the last almost two years, I think that's the question is like, I know what I want. I know, yeah. I know, I, I know I don't want to feel like this, but mm -hmm. I don't even, I don't know what to do to feel differently. Yeah. Um, you are in full control of your emotions. 100%. It's, it's a mastery. It's, it's something that you got to deal with your conscious and your subcontract conscious. Uh, you, you have mastery over yourself. Like the, the old, uh, it says, know, know thyself, you know, but in my book, one of the chapters is know thyself, but to couple that, because I think some of these cliche sayings are like only half the information is there. So you can know yourself, but if you can't control yourself, it don't matter. Right. You can know yourself and you need to know what you want, what you don't yeah. want. But if you can't control yourself, right, it don't matter. So, um, so how do you do that? How do you control those emotions and thoughts? So you got to slow down. You got to slow down. You, you got to slow down and you have to realize something, man, like uh, you have to slow down and look at simple things like you can shut your eyes right now and realize that you're you're not dying. You're not on fire. If that's the case, you know, as long as you're not dying and you're not on fire. Right. Um, when you take a breath, I, I heard a, a guy on the radio one time. Uh, I was on my way to Dallas. And it was a, it was a pastor speaking and he goes, look, today, I want you to focus on something so small, so small. He goes, shut your eyes and breathe in a deep breath and hold it for one or two seconds. And then just let it out. And he goes, feel how good it feels to be in control of that and take that breath and feel good about that breath. And, you know, he goes, know this, there's somebody today that can't do that. Like they're gasping for that last breath of air. They're, um, you know, so something like as simple as honestly breathing and then reverting back to the focus of breathing of actually feeling the air come in and letting yeah. it, letting it fill your lungs and you, you focus your, your mind on thinking about filling your lungs what this is going to do is just create a calming effect. Yeah. But your, your mindset, you have to shift your mindset off to something different. So if I can't control something and I'm pissed off and I'm angry and I can't get this done, or I'm, I'm even feeling like either worried or depressed about something, then I go try to go focus on something that it triggers me to go then do some action somewhere else, some physical action. Like yeah. I got to go work out, yeah. you know, because when I will go work out and I work out hard, but not crazy hard where I'm going to hurt myself or anything like that, but just work out at a really good pace and 
and uh, wear myself out. Um, I know that I'm doing something positive for my body. Yeah. You know, so again, two things can't occupy. So yeah, you're replacing the negative with the positive. When when you're sitting here and you got, you know, a couple hundred pounds on a bench press. And if you don't focus on pushing it, it's going to crush you or kill you or whatever. In the moment you're doing that, your focus is there and you, it shifted you off of something you might've been worried about. So you have to find what's called positive distractions. Yeah, You got to make a list, make a list of things for you that are positive distractions that are healthy and good for you. So like when you get into this mindset and you're like, Oh shit, that's happening. Or I'm starting to have that feeling or that emotion and it shoots up a red flag. So like, that's now a, uh, a beacon for you to say, okay, I have this red flag going off. Now I need to transition over into one of these six things that you identified that let's go occupy my time. And what people don't realize is if you start getting a really, really bad emotional state, like that's the most important thing because your emotional state is internal. Uh, it's trapped in there. It's not going to come out. And so you, you got to, you got to jump on it fast and early so it doesn't manifest and get worse and worse and worse because um, any problem that continues to manifest and get worse, if you could have tackled it when it was small, yeah. it's not a big deal. When you let that shit get too far gone, uh, you, you have a, a bigger problem. Yeah. I would so, say, you know, most people think momentum is only a positive force. You can actually, momentum goes both ways and you can create a massive amount of negative momentum in your life. And if you don't do just like what you said and, and stop that process, yeah, um, it can become uber problematic. And a lot of like what you're talking about, I was thinking about the processes for me is like, you know, I try to go like monocentry kind of, you were talking about like, you know, just audit all the levels of input and really just focus on something as simplistic as your breath or, that bench press or, you know, blank, as opposed to, you know, continuing to allow multiple sensory systems to come in, which is yeah. overwhelming. And when you're overwhelmed, the last thing you need is what more overwhelm. And so I think that's a fantastic answer. Brother, where can we get your book on um, Amazon? Yeah, just go to Amazon, uh, type in the lost art of faith. Perfect. And it's super cheap. It's $6.99. Like, I don't make any money on the book whatsoever. Like when I wrote the book, uh, uh, Mike Fallett, yeah. dream starters, yeah. uh, and then Tony Watley, uh, with the uh, 365 driven, you know, I talked to them before I pursued the book. And, um, so what I, one of the most important thing is he said, what's, what's the mission, you know, like you can write a book. That's great. Okay. And you, most people aren't going to sell millions of copies of books and be a millionaire. Right. It's not going to happen for most people. Right. So I said, look, if I can help one dude get through struggles, his life in a situation, and I've already had multiple people, you know, tell me, Hey man, after I read this, like I was here, it changed my mindset, my feelings, and it, it moved me to a better place. And I said, like, if, if I could do that for one person, I think I invested like, you know, like four grand or something like that. I said that four grand to help one human being's life so knowing what? that. Yeah, it was, it was worth every, every penny. Uh, I get little tiny, uh, Amazon royalty, uh, notifications. It as like, it's just enough to probably pay for the movies that I rent off Amazon anyway. So, uh, 
at the end of the day, it, I mean, it's fine with me because I love watching the movies. So, yeah, you know, it, it's a win -win. It, it balances out. But uh, yeah, uh, Amazon, they could get the book. And then uh, I do uh, either Zoom calls like this or in-person uh, life coaching. Awesome. And, and I took the quantitative business. I used to write business models and marketing uh, strategies for businesses and do, uh, you know, uh, business plans. Yeah. So I take that same approach in a business plan and help people map out a, a life business plan because your, your life is your business. Yeah, totally. But most people don't sit down and draft it out when you draft out a, what resources are going to need, what obstacles do you see are going to happen? And you map this out the same way you would with a business plan, but for your life, and it just starts creating a, a dream map for you. And it has something structured for you and just know it can, it can change. But now at least you put a pen to paper and you, it, so it, I force them to start thinking about, I don't give them the answers. Right. I, I give them the question and then they've got to give me the answer and we start filling it out. But at the end, I give it to them. And I'm like, look, you, you created your own business life plan, business model. Like, like here, you've already told me what's going to be a obstacle, what resources you need. Now go get them. There you go. I love it. I love <laughs> yeah. it. My brother, thank you, my man. This has been awesome. It's uber entertaining for me. I know the audience is going to love it. Guys, thanks for listening to the Thrive Forever Fit podcast. And we'll be back next week with another um, awesome episode. Eric, thanks again, brother. Loved having you on the show. All right, guys. Uh, take care and God bless. Thank you, my man. All right. Bye.